Seals are expected to be undoubtedly loyal to the man next to them, undeniably selfless, fiercely brave, ultimately fearless, a perfect machine to fight our enemy. I will say again, a machine. This has led to undeniable success over the SEAL history and without question the last 20 years since 9-11 and our war on terror. Like many of you, this also meant that my husband and I attended many funerals for those lost. For some, they were KIT, killed in training. For many others, they were KIA, killed in action. They laid down their heart on foreign soil in the face of the enemy. This act is seen as, again, loyal, selfless, brave, and fearless. Met with words like honorable and heroic, where the deaths are glorified for their duty to serve. There is no question this is a righteous path for these men. As a spouse, this is the path we prepare for. The one we make decisions and accommodations for the playbook, should we get the dreaded knock at the door. This was the outcome I feared. A fear that on deployments would move into my home like an overstayed house guest and would leave for an extended period of time on his return. However, in recent years, as activity has slowed overseas, another enemy has quietly creeped into our homes. An enemy that was brought back on the plane along with their gear and oversized kit bags. If these men were fortunate enough to evade direct enemy fire, the collision of months and years of high-impact blasts and explosives is without a doubt unavoidable. These excessive blast injuries have now become our new enemy. It does not discriminate, and its silent approach is terrifying. A concussive wave that rattles the body far beyond the brain. A seismic shift that traumatizes not only the brain, but all the organs and vessels down to the cellular level. What starts off as initial and commonplace PTSD symptoms such as bouts of anger, periods of avoidance, hypervigilance, poor sleep, and sensitivity to light are the symptoms many of us generalize of someone that is under high-stress combat and training for long periods of time. There are others who honorably served and came home with shrapnel wounds or missing limbs, a visual reminder of a battle fought. However, unlike them, our men may physically look no different, but they are currently in the battle every single day. This enemy finds him in the place he should be safest, not just in his home, but on home soil, the soil that birthed him, the soil he fought for, and the soil that should keep him safe. My father used to tell me, Every decision you make comes with a consequence, and if you are okay with the consequence, you should be okay making the decision. These men chose to become Navy SEALs to fight for our country. Our families have chosen to stand behind them in silent support with all of us knowing the ultimate consequence could be their life. What we didn't plan for is these men could become their own enemy. This is a combat wound as a result of war, fighting foreign threats. Our pain is deeper knowing there is no test and there is no cure. As a spouse who lost her husband to suicide, I cannot speak for all, but I stand here and say my husband died in combat. The only difference is he was still breathing on that plane ride home. Last week, as I made a visit to Arlington, a man walking by read the headstone aloud and exclaimed, Navy SEAL, wow. Looking at me, he asks, so he was KIA then? Pausing in defeat, I knew I would once again have to offer kindness to a stranger that knew no better. A softened smile, I replied, no. He died by suicide. I watched as the man's eyes grew large. He puckered his lips and took a deep breath in. Hmm. So what was it? He just couldn't take all the things he's seen overseas? All that PTSD and stuff? Making direct eye contact, I answered, not even close. It's so much more than that. 
Welcome to Glorious Professionals, brought to you by GoRook Media. I'm Jason here with Emily. Our guest today is a dear friend, Sarah Wilkinson, gold star wife of Navy SEAL Chad Wilkinson, who passed away by suicide on October 29th, 2018, due to the effects of numerous deployments, TBIs, blast wave injuries, and PTSD. Sarah is the daughter of a Marine, an entrepreneur and CrossFit Level 4 instructor, and has two extraordinary kids, Kinsley and Hudson. And she's a dear friend of ours now pouring her passion into changing the number of veteran suicides. We're proud to fight that good fight with her. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you. That speech gives me goosebumps every time. Well, we were fortunate enough to be there. It was for your Memorial Day speech down in Fort Pierce at the Navy SEAL Museum, but underwater. UDT. Underwater Demolition Team is what they were originally called. Uh, but yeah, the Navy SEAL Museum, it's in Fort Pierce, Florida. A lot of pictures of dudes wearing UDTs, really short shorts, you know. Yeah, some old <laughs> you know, school gear and equipment floating around the that place. The shorter the shorts, the more serious the operator, something like that. I think so. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a real honor to, to go down there. That was, what, a five-hour drive for SM? Less. Or less or so. Mm-hmm. And I, you're a gifted public speaker, and I think that you're the perfect person tragically placed to be carrying this, this torch forward to honor your husband's life and legacy. I want to get to that. Of course, we'll get to Chad 1000 X and we'll get to all, all of that stuff, but I want to start how you grew up and, you know, then we want to get to how you met Chad and, you know, a little bit more of your, your story. Oh, well, I was gypsy. (laughs) (laughs) My dad was Marine and, uh, I was born into it. So a military kid, born and bred. We moved a lot. Uh, As an officer, he just, we typically moved every two, maybe three years. So I went to about 15 schools, I think, before I finished, ultimately. We spent a lot of time on the East Coast and then also lived overseas in Okinawa. What did he do in the Marines? He was an engineer. (laughs) He's not your traditional Marine. So for anybody listening, if you met him, you'd actually be really surprised but yeah, we were just a small family. I've got one sister, mom, dad, and traveled around, went to different school, a lot of times almost every year. So I went to a different school for fifth grade, different school for sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, and then ninth grade. Wow. Uh, and then I was able to stay in that one high school for ninth and 10th, moved my junior year, was pretty angry about that one, <laughs> and then finished two years there. So I met Chad the first day of high school, ninth grade. I was 13. He was in my PE class. You got a big smile. I can just because <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think everybody has stories in life that you you think back to it and you can just remember it so vividly. It was a very small military school in Quantico, a Marine Corps base in Northern Virginia. And I had already had friends there, even though I just moved back. I had friends that had been living there for a while. So I entered ninth grade thinking I was pretty cool because I already had friends. And in a military school, you know, everyone is DOD. It's on the military base. So it's a very unassuming community. I mean, we know what it's like to be the new kid. So people embrace each other pretty quickly. And the word was spreading about the Wilkinson brothers. Everyone's <laughs> like, do you know who the Wilkinson brothers are? I was like, what in the world? Who are these guys? Thinking I was too cool. But I was in PE class sitting on the bleachers and our PE teacher was calling roll and he was sitting in front of me and he turned his head sideways. So I saw his profile and they said Chad Wilkinson and he kind of threw his chin up in the air and said, here, I was like, oh, <laughs> I like him. And that was it. I was done. I crushed on pretty hard. So he was there because, you know, he comes from a line of SEALs. Right? Yeah. It's kind of um, ironic. So his dad was in the Navy. His dad was a SEAL. His uncle was also a SEAL. 
his dad switched over to a different rate in the military when he was a lot younger. So he was flying helicopters for the president. He was kind of on that duty station, which is what brought him to Quantico. Cause otherwise I don't think we would have really ever crossed paths. So military, I mean, both kind of military brats. I've never met anybody that went to high school on the base. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know how many are actually still in existence. I think when I was in high school, there were three still operating, but Quantico where I met Chad and, and that's where Chad coincidentally graduated high school. It's since been torn down, Hmm. which is really unfortunate because I have really great high school memories, which I'm not so sure a lot of people do. And especially today, Lejeune High School is where I graduated, Camp Lejeune in Mm -hmm. Jacksonville, North Carolina. And I do believe that school's still around. So how did it work with shifting, or sorry, go ahead. Well, it just, it just wasn't uncommon um, for me growing up. You know, I went to a couple elementary schools as well that were on base and all your mom or dad are in the military and it's normal. I don't know. So what was it like when you had to leave then? Oh yeah. That was, that was not so good. Okay. So, so walk us, walk us forward then. I I mean, we, we were friends. We actually didn't start dating till the end of my sophomore year. He got in a food fight in the, (laughs) in the cafeteria. What kind of food? Um, Well, he had like a hostess cupcake shoved into his shoulder (laughs) when he came and asked me to homecoming. (laughs) Isn't that impressive? He didn't care. He's got this hostess cupcake. He's like, Hey, I was wondering, I'm going to go to homecoming. I was like, yes, (laughs) of course I do. Um, I'm sorry. What'd you ask? Did you know that was coming? That you were Did you know he was going to come and ask you? No. And this, this makes me sound like such a jerk. So I had a friend, Sean, that were like, all right, we'll go to homecoming together, you know? And then Chad came and asked me and I was like, ah, and he, my friend, Sean said, Hey, I understand. Like, if you want to go with him, you can go with him. So that was like a a pretty friend. That is a good friend. Cause I was feeling like a big jerk, but no, didn't see it coming. So Sean was a boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like two girls say, oh, well, I guess I, in today's world, that's I don't right. Know. I'm just, no. just being so progressive. No, I'm, this yeah, was like, you know? no, this was early nineties. So it's like, <laughs> as a girl and boy, I mean, Hey, whatever, do you, but yeah. I'm just saying typically. Well, I don't know. I mean, since forever, you know, girls go to the bathroom, girls are always doing stuff together and stuff. I know. And it wasn't Especially like, nowadays, it, it wasn't like, like exclusive. Yeah. There was probably like a huge group of us mm-hmm. going to go, but I yeah. wanted it to be more like I was going to go on a date with Chad. So you didn't know this was coming though. You didn't know he was going to come and ask you. No, no. So what was the interaction like then before that? I mean, I I can't imagine it was just, you know, you saw his profile that once in gym class and you crushed on him and then all of a sudden later. Well, okay. First of all, you have to also realize how little the school is. I mean, he graduated, I think his graduating class was like 23 or 24 people. Oh, That's how small it was. And, and y'all are the same grade. He was a year older. Okay, one year old. He was a year older. Uh, well, he's two years older, but a year older mm-hmm. in grade. Um, no, we were just friends. I, I dated one of his friends in ninth grade and he had a girlfriend and we were just friends, but I think I, I always had a crush on him. And then, you know, the boyfriend and girlfriend weren't around and he'd walk by my locker and he'd say, hey. <laughs> And I remember <laughs> running into English class, old Miss Adenoffy, and I was like, you will not believe who just said, hey, to me. <laughs> One day he came up, he said, okay, first of all, you have to realize again, early 90s, I couldn't drive, right? I was under strict rules. He said, hey, could I give you a ride home? And I was like, yeah, I was not allowed to do this. <laughs> and my sister still laughs about it today. I walked inside the house. I was like, you'll not believe who gave me a ride home from school in his Jeep. Yeah. So was it your, your dad or your mom or what were kind of the rules of, uh, like who was the rule? Like you couldn't, house? you couldn't get a, a ride from, I just think it was like, not, 
it, it was just different then, you know, I mean, I was 15 maybe. And, you know, I wasn't really like riding in cars with friends. Mm-hmm. I hate to admit it. Even my mom drove me to school. You know why? Because I said, mom, cheerleaders don't ride the bus. How jerky is that? <laughs> so you were a cheerleader. <laughs> oh yeah. Let's, let's, yep. Skipping that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Hey, you're, you're crossing in the halls. Obviously he, you know, he had his eye on you too. Hopefully. Yeah, (laughs) obviously. And so then you went to, you went to homecoming. Yeah. Went to homecoming and then we, we really didn't start dating then, but uh, a little while later, classic, he's like, Hey, I think I need you to help me with this history paper. (laughs) And then he asked me out to dinner and we went out to dinner and then Hey seems to be his yeah. kind of go-to. He was very much like a hey. Yeah, I mean, he Hudson kind of has that a little good, bit. It's a good but, move. He he was never a big talker. Nope. <laughs> he he was never going to be the loudest guy in the room. I li- I like the hey. Yeah, I like the hey too. So your dad's job took you to Lejeune High yes. School, and yeah. you mentioned that he wasn't your classic Marine. What what was he like? Um, you know, I think you hear of a lot of Marines that it's just like, it lives in my blood. We eat bricks for breakfast. and Yeah. It's just hardcore. I mean, my dad, my dad's tough, but he is happily retired and he retired as a Colonel in the Marine Corps, which you would think, you know, that's, it's good work. Right. And I know that he was respected and all those sort of things, but he doesn't want that association at all. Hmm. So some of my aunts and uncles like to call him Colonel. (laughs) I'm not sure he's a big fan of that. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just, he kind of sees it as part of his life and it's done, Hmm. you know? So he kind of felt the need to reinvent himself or. I think, I think he almost never identified himself as like, I'm a Marine, Mm -hmm. you know, it was, it was a job title for him and it's what he did. And I mean, he was happy to serve his country. I just think he was living that for the time that he needed to, (laughs) you know? Throughout all the moves and all the, I mean. Yeah. I mean, he he went to Desert Storm. I mean, I think he was gone a year when I was 11 or 12. You know, he lived an active military life. I'm sure he's proud, but he doesn't feel like he has to like live this Marine persona. He's almost a quiet professional. He is. He is a quiet guy. I have a theme. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So you, you move away. Was there this big kind of. Dramatic. I thought we had homecoming or. Oh yeah. So we started dating and then after my sophomore year, my dad um, got orders down in Lejeune and I was, I was pretty angry about it. So I lived actually with my best friend and her family at her house who also lived in Quantico that summer, just so I could spend another summer with her. But let's be honest, to be closer to the boy. I'm trying to think he must've been 16 or 17 then because he could drive and he would drive down on the weekends. His mom and dad would let him drive down. And I think it was about six hours and stay with me on the weekend and then drive back. So he came down for, you know, homecomings and proms and stuff down there. He graduated high school and then went to UCF, but I still had another year left and we actually broke up for a while and he went and did the college thing and I was finishing high school and once he was a year in at UCF, cause he always wanted to be a SEAL, but he wanted to try to go in as an officer. At the time they weren't taking officers. I guess that's the easiest way to explain it. And so he said, well, fine. And he just left college and went right to Bud's. Mm-hmm. So UCF, Central Florida? Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Cause his dad, after they were done, they moved to Florida. And so he just kind of followed his family and started college down there. And so then you went to 
you went to the University of Florida. I did. But he was in Buds at that point. Um, he was out of Buds. Mm-hmm. He was already at the teams. Okay. So it gets like, there's so some crazy, there's some point? crazy logistics because we broke up twice. One point we didn't see each other for like two and a half years. Oh, wow. Nothing. Nothing. This is before, you know, all these passive ways of communicating. Yeah, we with- had like AOL messenger and like AOL account, my email account where it's like the dial up. <laughs> and I would stay in contact with his little sister. So he has a little sister who's 10 years younger, Courtney. And she, and so I'd known her since she was like five and she would send me messages. So I knew he was in buds and I wanted this makes me sound like a complete creeper. I'm realizing as I'm saying this, <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> I wanted to see his graduation and because I didn't trust myself to not like get on a plane and just show up there. My girlfriend and I went on a cruise. So I was like, well, if I'm on a cruise ship, you can't really get off. Right. Anyway, he comes home from Bud's. I knew he was there back in Orlando visiting his oh family because his sister told me. So I took a couple of days off work. He sends me a message and says, Hey, I'd really like to see you. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I got to see if I can get off work. <laughs> <laughs> got to play hard to get. <laughs> this is great because, and then, and then this was even like, you know, you don't have a phone for maps. I, I printed off directions MapQuest. off MapQuest mm-hmm. and I drove from, I lived south of Tampa to Orlando. So what, hour and a half, two hours? I don't know. I pulled over a couple of times to throw up. I was so nervous. <laughs> and then I get there and his brother answers and him and his brother are wrestling on the floor. <laughs> They probably like staged the whole thing. Like she's here. Right. And I saw him and I instantly was like, oh, and so we hung out for the day. And then he said, I, I asked my mom if you could just like stay here a little longer. And I was like, okay. Cause I already had the days off work. So we got back together. Brilliantly played. Yeah. And so how that many was the bro- first time we broke up. Yeah. So how many brothers does he have? He has two brothers. Two brothers. And so the sister. three of them. He's made, the oldest. Yeah. He's yeah, the oldest. And they're always just wrestling around. Oh yeah. Doing, it was chaos just- in their house and I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're, you're coming from this quiet house. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm the youngest, you know, of just two. It's just my sister and I, mm-hmm. and she's six and a half years older than me. So our, our dynamic in our house was so different than their dynamic, both loving households, but for kids, it's like there was soccer balls bouncing and dogs barking and wrestling happening. And I just, <laughs> I loved it. God, that's awesome. Yeah, it was fun. Oh. It was fun. Cool. So okay. that, was, that was the first time y'all had broken up, but you guys got back together. We did get back together. And now he's a big, bad Navy SEAL. Yeah. Well, yeah. So he had to go to, then they had like these A schools where they had a specialty. They don't really do that so much anymore. So he had to go to Fort Bragg and become a medic. And I ended up Oh, going, he went to the Sockham course. Yeah. Oh, where, wow. And I went to Methodist College mm-hmm. for one semester. <laughs> Convenient again. <laughs> yes. I had a long-term plan to stay there, but it was a small school and I just didn't like it. So, yeah. and then he ends up finishing that school. He gets stationed at SEAL Team 8, which is in Virginia Beach. And I ended up going back to Florida with my parents and I did some community college down there. And then I transferred to the University of Florida, but then we broke up again. Okay. Why'd you break up? Well, I think it comes down to like, you're 19 years old and you're in college at a really big college and he's like a team guy, yeah, you know, and you just are living such different lives. And I think it was just like, all right, we'll just. And just not done. together. Yeah. Either. I mean, we just went, he would drive down for a while. He would drive down to UF. I think it's like 14 hours. He would leave after work on Friday, drive to UF, stay with me Saturday and turn around and drive back on Sunday. We, we know this life. Yeah. I we mean, it's just, <laughs> yeah, you guys can understand, right? And you're, you're just in it and you're 
madly in love. Oh yeah. And yet it's just so hard in a way that you don't understand. Yeah, because I think we just wanted to be, we were both doing really cool things, but we wanted to be able to be doing them with each other. Yeah. And having, a, we dated long distance for so much and it was hard. It was really hard. So how did it come circling back? So we broke up and I thought that was that. And um, I ended up having another boyfriend in college for a short period of time. He dated another girl. So let me go back. Was it like, what kind of a breakup was it? Dramatic breakup or just kind of a somber, this is kind of how it has to be breakup? No, when we broke up in college, when things were bad, it was bad. Like, I think I went to my final the next day in like bunny pajamas and didn't pass. I was like that girl. <laughs> yeah, I did. I remember I had these bunny, these pajama pants had bunnies all on them. No shame. Walking through the UF campus. <laughs> So to like With like wrapper shades on or something. <laughs> I wish it was that cool. I don't know. Um, yeah. And, and he did his first deployment. So his first deployment was on a ship. It was on the USS Enterprise. And uh, we weren't together. But so he started sending me emails on my AOL. I actually printed them all out a long time ago. And I just recently found them. And Aww, it was pretty cool. But cool. he just said, you know, I told the guys I can't stop thinking about you and wonder how you're doing, all that sort of thing. So those kind of emails started happening. And then me being a jerk was like, well, you know where I live. <laughs> and um, he came home from deployment and he drove to my house and showed up at my front door. Wow. And I did the same thing I did in high school, like said hi. And then I went in my bedroom and leaned against the door and was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> he's right there. You know, I just, I've always loved him. It's just him. Mm -hmm. So, so then what? So we hung out that day. I didn't really know how this was going to go, you know? Well, I mean, he drove, yeah. I mean, you, you kind of maybe thought. So I was like, Hey, I, you know, I'd like you to stay a little bit longer. And he stayed and, um, this was May 99 and he proposed to, we got engaged in July 2nd. Oh, then, just a couple months after. Mm -hmm. So we were engaged and I decided that I was still finishing my degree, but I had to do an internship. So being smart, I figured out how to do an internship in Virginia Beach. So I went up there and was going to do the internship for the whole fall semester. And while we were there, he was also going to deploy. So we just knew we wanted to be married, at least on paper. I mean, let's be honest, there's a lot of military people that do that, but mm -hmm. we just wanted to be- You're looking at two of them. Yeah. I mean, we just <laughs> wanted to know we were married, you know? I think our family probably wanted the big wedding almost more than we wanted the big wedding. I mean, at this point, I didn't really care. I just wanted to be wherever he was. Wherever he is, that's where I want to be. Mm -hmm. And so we found this guy, this Justice of the Peace, and he said, I can marry you in my backyard. And so we went. And then I, when I moved up there, too, I was living in a townhouse with him and like four other team guys. <laughs> <laughs> it was honestly like one of the greatest experiences of my life. So awesome. It was so cool. And and the place was just crazy. And there was no decorations. I know I'm jumping around, but you have to get the visual. Like yeah. me and these dudes. And there was one massive sofa and there was a kegerator in the corner <laughs> with a trident for the pole. And that was it. And a TV. And I told the guys, I'm like, listen, you guys need some decorations or something. Like hang some stuff on the wall. And they're like, okay, copy that. I come home, they hung shooting targets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, the targets that look like real people, yeah. like the guy's got the girl in the headlock and he yeah. got to figure out. That's what they hung up? Yeah, that's what they hung up around. Would, they, I was like, would they throw darts at it or anything? No, I think they just were like, <laughs> she asked for stuff on the wall. There you go. 
Um, Did they act like you're the den mom or were you like one of the guys? No, were, they were cool. They and were the cool. truth is, is, it was always kind of in passing, you know, because oh, yeah, this guy might be it. on a trip and this guy's here. And there were a few times that you wake up and there's like a random girl in the kitchen. <laughs> you're like, hey, what's your name? Jessica? Cool. I'm Sarah. I live here. <laughs> I'm married. <laughs> no. So anyway, so so when Get we so when we eloped in in Virginia Beach, if, if people hear this and they've lived there a long time, there's a place called Duck Inn. It was the coolest place, like on the water, at, like an outdoor beach bar place. And so we went and picked up our one roommate, Bing, and we're, we're like, all right, we'll pick you up and take you. You know, so we pick him up, and he's in the back. I think he'd already had a couple beers, and he's all like, hey, why do you have a ring on your finger? And we're like, well. He got married. He, he was the first, probably the only person that really knew. <laughs> then I think years later, I think my mom and dad knew probably before Chad's parents ever knew. How did he propose? Uh, in the Florida Stadium. Oh, so, really? Yeah, not not like during a game or anything, but the Florida the Stadium. The swamp. The swamp, wow. that's right. It's pretty cool. At the very <laughs> top cool. on one side below one of the um, scoreboards is just a small little place, I guess, where like cameras, like the guy with the tripod. Mm-hmm. And... Um, we just went for a walk and he's like, let's go up here. Let's see it from the very top. And I was like, okay, that's where he proposed. It's cool. Go so, Gators. Go Gators. Well, I love the swamp. You know, my, I used to go there as a kid. I moved to Gainesville when my yeah. mom was in school yeah. there. Awesome. Yeah. It's a special place. It it's is. even more special. I love, I love with the that. swamp too, but that, that wins. It is. Yeah. And good. you know, I just took Hudson to his first game, uh, the Florida, Florida state game year before last. So it was pretty cool. We were on the end zone that looked at that spot Aww. on the opposite of it. And so sitting there with him and seeing that, I was like, that's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's good. It's cool. Okay. So he's done one deployment now. Mm-hmm. It's 1999, 2000. Yeah. 99. Okay. So I'm working towards kind of nine eleven. Yeah. I mean, was this sort of normal quote, quote, happily married seal and, and wife for a couple of years or, or what, what was the assimilation like for you? Well, I think we were, uh, I mean, I was just going straight in to be a military wife, which was never a goal of mine. It just happened organically, but it was a life I'm used to, you know? Did, did you move out of the, the team house? We or? did. We okay. did. So that, that's, I, I should have been more succinct with that. Yeah. So he, so we were there for a few months. Um, I actually ended up pregnant with our daughter. So it was like, we weren't trying, but we weren't not, not trying, you know, how that works. So a couple of days before he left on deployment and right before I graduated college, I was like, wait, does one line me? Yes. Is there two <laughs> line to no? what's happening? And he was like, what? So I moved back home with my parents. He was deployed. I came back to Virginia beach May of 2000 and bought a house without him. And then he came home from deployment. This was, you know, the summer right before nine 11 and our daughter was born in August and he was back at Team 8. And I remember that day. I mean, don't we all remember that day mm-hmm. so clearly that she was like swaddled in a blanket. I was cleaning the living room. And the Today Show broke out and gave the news. And I instantly started trying to call them. This is when we had our first cell phone. Mm-hmm. So our daughter was born in August. And that's when we were like, we probably need to get those cell phones. And that's what I was trying to call him on. He wasn't answering. Yeah. And then he came home from work. He still had on PT shorts and a white t-shirt. We both looked at each other like, what is happening? It was going to change your life. And <laughs> you I, just I didn't know at think, the time. Yeah. I don't even think, maybe he did, but I don't think I r- really thought like how much yeah. my life, our life, his life, everyone's life mm-hmm. was going to change. I don't think it was really hitting me. It, yeah. So, how could we have, how yeah. could we have known? Yeah. But it did. Mm-hmm. 
So our daughter, our daughter was born sick too. So it's like, I'm dealing with a sick baby and he's just going to work. So, yeah. So what was, what was wrong with Kinsley? Kinsley had a heart defect and she had open heart surgery when she was two months old. So she had a hole in her heart basically, which is actually a pretty common heart defect, but hers was pretty big. It was about the size of a dime. and She was like six, two when she was born. So pretty big hole. Yeah. And you know, you take your baby to the one week checkup, check up, like all parents do. And I'm young, I'm 23. I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, the doctor was like, yep, she's good to go. And it was Chad that said, can you check her respirations? Because her heart rate and respiration, they, they just seem really high. And he listened a little bit more closely and he said, yeah, you need to take her to Portsmouth. And we took her and pretty much immediately they determined the hole in her heart. Wow. Yeah, she was, she was pretty sick. And they kept telling us she needed to be 10 pounds and or six months to have surgery. And she was not ever going to make that. They wanted us to go to the local hospital for children in our area, but we researched and knew that we wanted someone who just comes in and operates on a little baby's heart every single day. Mm-hmm. And we found a doctor at Duke. Shout out to Dr. Jaggers. I mean, he in my mind, he saved your life. So um, I called as a panicked mom and I said, she needs this right now. And so fast forward October, October 30th, 2001, Kinsley had open heart surgery. Gosh. That's a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot. Looking back on it, you know, with sometimes when you're in the middle of it, you just don't realize what you're in the middle of. And I think I was so young, I'm just going. But I look back now and I think, man, that's crazy. I was so young and didn't know. And kids are so resilient, right? Isn't it amazing, like how quickly they can recover and bounce back? And I didn't know any better than having this baby who was really pale and sickly. I mean, I remember being in Babies R Us. And this lady leaned over into her little basket and said, oh, what's wrong with her? Mm-hmm. But uh, within 24 hours after the surgery, she she pinked up. So that's great. Yeah. Another wow. challenge. <laughs> so then what was it like, you know, at, at some point you get into the, no pun intended, the battle rhythm of deployments. And at, at some point you, you start having your own career as well. You have another, you have Hudson. And yeah. what was that like? Oh my gosh. Like so, so much. There's so much in there, right? Like we, he was at SEAL Team 8 and just started doing it like they do workups and that could be anything. He goes away for a week here, a couple weeks here, back and forth. You do get really, I don't want to say used to, I don't even think the other wives would like me saying you get used to it, but it's just a rhythm of life that there's comfort there. It's like, he's gone, he's home, he's gone, he's home. And our kind of outlook on it was when you're gone, you're gone. Like, I'm not going to bug you with the washer being broke or can't work the weed eater, whatever it may be, fill in the blank, because there's really nothing you can do about it. And if I call you and complain about it, all it's going to do is add stress on your plate. So as far as you know, everything's fine. But when you're home, you're home. And that's how we operate. Your ass is mowing the grass. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll be honest. It does take a very unique personality to be able to survive and thrive in this life, to be married to guys that do this work. It's hard. So what does it take? I almost said balls, but that that would just work against me, wouldn't it? (laughs) No, it works. Um, Figurative balls. I, you know, I think it takes a little bit of fearlessness, really. 
and it takes a lot of resiliency and independence mm-hmm. and intelligence. There, there's just a lot of things that you have to do alone. You know, having done this for 20 years, how many birthdays have I spent alone, Valentine's Days, anniversaries, shopping for Christmas presents? I mean, fill the list, whatever it is. I mean, I could probably count on one hand how many Christmas trees Chad helped us pick out. And it's easy for me now in my position to sit here and say, that's kind of sad. You know, there's a large chunk of my life that, that I don't really feel like I got to live like other couples my age have lived. But then on the flip side of it, there's a large part of my life that I've also seen, experienced, and lived that other people will never understand. So a little bit back to what you were saying. I mean, he, we did teammate. And because we were military kids, here's the irony of it, is when I got pregnant with our son, who I like to call my Afghan negotiation baby, <laughs> because after Kinsley, we were like, one's good. I mean, she was yeah. tough and one and done. And then, you know, you go to Afghanistan and you come back and you're like, well, you're really cute. All right. Maybe we'll have one more baby. Um, (laughs) Wasn't much of a a negotiation. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, So when I was pregnant with Hudson, I think it's when Chad and I were starting to, as, as a lot of people do, you know, the grass is greener, right? And because we were military kids and because we moved all the time and we experienced our dads being away for long periods of time, we thought... We want to give our kids something totally different. We want to do the whole like civilian nine to five, the whole deal. And, and so I sold our house and packed up my house. I was pregnant with my second and moved us to Raleigh and he was deployed. So he was supposed to be doing his last deployment, right? With quote, till team me. And the guys would even tell you, Chad told me that one of the last trips they took, they were jumping And they were making fun of him because he was going to move to Raleigh and work in pharmaceuticals. And they were jumping out of the plane being like, you're not going to do this shit with your (laughs) pharmaceutical buddies, are you? You know? (laughs) It's like, damn. Um, And yeah, so we we made this huge shift. Moved to Raleigh. That's where his family, large part of his family still currently lives. So he was on board with this or you were mostly driving it? No. No, because I don't, that's not how we were. You guys decided. Yeah, it wasn't like, this is what you're going to do. Like, no, we were a team. And I mean, truthfully, I think Chad would would sacrifice a lot for his family. So I think he really was just trying to do what was best for us. I mean, do I think he still wanted to be a Navy SEAL and kick down doors and jump out of airplanes? 1,000%. But he felt like he was doing the right thing. And we moved there and he got a great job and we had a cute house and a wraparound porch and the whole like American dream deal. Lived in this massive community. We made some great friends and we literally hated it from the day we started. <laughs> so that lasted about two years, two and a half years. And I will never forget, well, what he will tell you is <laughs> he was sitting in a break room celebrating a lady's baby shower eating a pink cupcake. (laughs) And it's like, what in the hell am I doing with my life? And that's not to say anybody out there eating a pink cupcake, celebrating a baby shower is bad. Mm -hmm. But for Chad, you know, just such a huge like separation from, from not only what he did, but who he was. I mean, I've known him since I was a little girl and I still say today he was 
born to do this. This is what he was made for. So he was leaving for work a while later and he wore a suit and tie and I grabbed his tie and I flipped it. And I said, that's stupid. We're going to sell this house and we're going to go back in. We put a sign in our yard. I think we sold it in like two and a half days. We got rid of a lot of what we had. We put all the rest of what we had in a storage unit. We filled what little we needed in a U-Haul and they took him back as a SEAL. But now we had to go to the West Coast because at this point he hadn't deployed for almost three years. So I don't know what the rules are, but after you finish BUDS, you go through what used to be SQT. Now it's called STT. Might've flip-flopped those, but SEAL technical training. It's additional training after BUDS. And they said, you need to go back through this training because you haven't deployed in almost three years. And he said, all right, I'll go do that. But if I do that, I just want to go to a West Coast team because I'm going to take my whole family with me. It's a six-month course, but great. The kids and I again, get on a plane, fly to San Diego, get dropped off. Chad gets in a U-Haul with a bunch of Red Bull and sunflower seeds <laughs> and yep. drives for like three days, just like jamming, pedal to the metal. <laughs> and um, we found this little apartment. And, you know, I think when most people hear that, they're like, gosh, you guys, that was crazy. But for me, it was like I was going home, you know? I was going to something that was familiar to me and I was getting him home is what it felt like. How great that you were both on the same page at the same time for that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I remember, I have journals and I remember landing in San Diego and we got there, the kids and I, we were, um, he was obviously out in Coronado. So that's where we found a little apartment and we stayed at this hotel and I asked the front desk if they had beach toys and I took the kids to the beach the day we landed. And so Hudson's like three and Kinsley's six. And I remember thinking, this is going to change my life forever. My life is about to change right now. And it did a lot. But it was also a familiar gypsy life. It was. You, it was. You I don't, that life. Yeah. I don't sit still very well mm -hmm. living in one place. It's tough. For, it's really tough for me. Uh, J Jason likes to call that the pace of humanity. Mm. Pace of humanity is not for me. Yeah. Like, you know, people just standing on the escalators in the airport, right? And they just- Eating the, pink cupcakes. Oh yeah. Or they're yeah. The, the walking whatever. Yeah. And they're just, they're just very comfortable with that pace. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not for Jason. It's or, just or not me. my path. And so when you start yeah. talking about, you know, that just wasn't Chad's path. No. And you knew, and maybe he didn't verbalize it yet, but it was not going to lead somewhere that you all wanted to be as- a team as individuals. <laughs> so did it change drastically from where it was, how it was before? Yeah. It's, and I think about that a lot and I couldn't even tell you what I thought that was. I just felt like finally we're on to what, what our life is about to be. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm even doing a good job explaining that. It just, it just felt so right to have gone back and be where we were. And maybe it's just the fact that I'm a military kid and I was in a brand new place. You know, I'd done Virginia Beach, checked the box, you know, went to Raleigh, checked the box. Now I'm in San Diego. Awesome. I don't know this place. I didn't live there as a kid. Chad was born there, but. And, and it's an adventure. And yeah. It's not all program out, but you know, you know how this works because yeah. you grew up in it. Yeah. You it know? just, it felt good. You both so. grew up in it. Yeah. So he had some training. Yep. And yeah. what year is this now? 2007. Okay. So he was out from which years to which years? 05 um, to 07? So he, he was officially out, I think, October of 2004. 
to he came back September of 2007. Okay. Just for context, I mean, that yeah. is when the wars were raging, yeah. you know, cause I was, that's when I was in. Yeah. And we had friends. So at this point, cause when Chad came back from his second deployment, I think it was, I remember this was back in the day where it's like, we could go to the air, they would fly into Norfolk and we'd pick them up at the airport or we'd go meet them at the teams, you know? So we'd just be in the back bay. And before the truck came with all their gear and stuff, we went to this Mexican restaurant. He said, Hey, I really want to go to damn neck. And I, it was the only time I looked at him and I said, oh, hell no, hell no. And so this was before us getting out and everything. Like he wanted to go that path a long time ago. And I said, no, but a lot of our other friends. So explain that path. In terms of going over to like SEAL Team 6, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of the guys that Chad was in with, you know, they'd done their two or three pumps of deployment to be able to then go over try out yeah, yeah yeah thank you screen but yeah. yeah screen got it um and so he wanted to go do that years before and i said no so now we're in it where it's like we've got friends that are in a bunch of different teams or they've since made their trek over there and it's hitting them pretty hard why did you say no that's a good question i think i just thought what you do is dangerous and that is like that to me was like okay now we're really playing with fire when in reality, I should have just looked at it as why would he not have wanted to go do that? You know, these are people that are like, well, I want to be the absolute best. And in that world, that's what that's considered, right? I think I was just getting tired. Again, we're going back a little bit. This was before we got out of the military. And I, I just thought, I just want you to be around a little bit more. Like, can you somehow take like more of a Desk job. Desk <laughs> so. job, but in the military. Yeah, yeah. And they do. I mean, they have, quote, shore duty billets. You know, that's what I was hoping for. But, yeah. he, but he wasn't built for that. Yeah, no. <laughs> All right. So you're in San Diego. You know, you have friends because you've now been around a while. Yeah. And is he about to go on another deployment? You know, what's... Yeah, so... There's he, always another deployment, Oh, yeah. Right? There's, oh, there's always just one more. That's the joke with us yeah. wives. It's just one more. It's just one more. <laughs> um so he did this training and you realize like he's a guy that's been on three deployments at this point and he's with guys that just finished buds. So in typical Chad faction, I think he kind of looked at it as a way to also like be a mentor, you know, and talk to them like, this is the way I use my gear and this is the way I do this. And um, the plan did not go as planned, but the plan was for him to finish that and go to a West Coast team. So we would just be this little family happily living in heaven over there. Instead, the CEO from Damnek came and spoke to the guys and they kind of just say like, hey, in the future, if this is the pipeline you want to go down, blah, 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 blah. Chad used that opportunity to go up and say, hey, my name's Chad Wilkinson. Here's what I've done. That's my long-term goal. I'd like to eventually make my way over there. And the guy pretty much said, we'll, we'll fly you out now. Like, we're going to skip all this and just bring you out. And I remember standing in my kitchen making breakfast. When he came in and said, hey, I'm going to go to Virginia Beach next week and do this thing. And if it works out, I'm not sure if it's going to work out, but if it works out, we're going to move back there in like, you know, three months. It's like, great. And, and that's what happened. And you're in Coronado. Yeah. And this was January. And of, loved it there. Yeah. This was January of 2008. <laughs> and um, yeah. And April of 2008, we were back in Virginia Beach. Wow. Yeah. They wanted him. Yeah. So. And it was a very... It was a very kinetic time. Yeah. I mean, it was busy, you know, it was just, there was so much happening. I'm sure that the CEO is 
looking at him with his three deployments and record and being like, yep, we'll take you, you know, hopefully, I mean, I, <laughs> you know, I hope, I think he had a, a good reputation. Yeah. And, well, um, it's still, it's, it's just a screening too, almost. But your whole file matters in those things and it's a yeah, small community and probably took him two seconds to figure that out and getting someone like him and his caliber to, to be able to just walk in and join is, is a coup. Well, he, to be fair too, he happened across paths with the one guy that can make those decisions. You know, I mean, he's the guy that can say, Hey, you know, this guy doesn't need to go to the here. He can come Skip change it. Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta seize those moments, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> They're no. back in Virginia beach. Yep. So then, you know, I'm just equating it to other tier one units or, I mean, the deployments are short. Mm -hmm. Where are you personally? Have we started on the CrossFit journey yet? We did in, in Coronado. So that's another reason my life changed. So okay. I, you know, I'm, I'm a mom and I got these two little kids, but I got to also find something for me. And I, Chad started CrossFit in North Carolina. And so he put me through some workouts in the garage and I was like, listen, I'm in shape. Okay. I don't really need to do these workouts, but okay. <laughs> so I did, I started, you know, maybe this was 2006 by 2007 and we're in Coronado. I pass a gym CrossFit Coronado. So I call it, you know, who owned that gym? Guy named Andy Stump, uh, an ex team guy. I don't think he was expecting anybody to call him because it was a brand new gym. I don't even know if it opened yet. He's like, hey. So that's how that, that phone call went. Hi, hey. my name's Sarah. I saw your gym. I want to come. And I ended up just going to that CrossFit gym and learning CrossFit and then found this girl that I was determined to be friends with at the park. So I invited her to come do CrossFit. So then we did CrossFit. But when we moved to Virginia Beach... Now I'm like in it, right? I'm doing this four or five days a week. Turns out I'm not that fit, which is what I liked about it. It was just a kick in the butt, right? Learning a lot. And I had gone to a level one seminar before I left San Diego, not because I wanted to be a coach, but just because I wanted to kind of better understand what it is I'm doing. But when we got to Virginia Beach, the two gyms in the area, so we're talking early 2008, they just didn't really have a safe place for kids to be right? It wasn't that I couldn't come. It's just like, what are you going to do with your kids? And mm. we rented an apartment for a brief period of time because we weren't sure where we wanted to live in Virginia Beach. And with that apartment, we rented a garage and Chad bought enough equipment for us to work out together. Well, then my girlfriend said, well, can I come work out? And I was like, sure. You know, and the, the coaching was great. It was like, let's squat here. You watch me. See that? You do that. <laughs> Looks good. I mean, it was, it was very like archaic. And then slowly they're like, can my friend come? Can my friend come? And by July, we had like 20 people lined up one day and I'm running like two man heats. We took a Suburban <laughs> awesome. and we would back it up close to the gym and we would put all the little kids in it because it's just in a parking lot. We'd pop the back window of the Suburban and that was the corral. It's like, you're going to sit in here for 45 minutes while we throw weights around. <laughs> the Thunderdome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so that's, you know, I got really focused on, I, you know, I always like sports and athletics and stuff. and exercising and just hanging out with good people. And Chad was really busy with work. And so that's where we both kind of like found our flow. Now, didn't he qualify for the games or something? He did. So typical Chad fashion. So 2008 was the first games at the ranch. And then yeah. 2009 was sectionals. If you guys can remember that. And so our sectional was in Virginia Beach close by. And so Chad's like, hey, I think I'm going to do that. I was like, okay, because we opened a gym. So I, after all that, I opened CrossFit Odyssey in 2008. And so this must have been early 2009, April maybe. Um, sectionals came down and Chad just saw it as like, you know, friendly competition. He said, I think I'm going to go do that. I said, I think that sounds great. 
And he went and he surprisingly, you know, he kept doing pretty decent. And I think on the second day or at lunch, I can't quite remember. I remember looking at him and I said, hey, you might actually qualify for this thing. And he looked at me and raised his eyes and he's like, I know. (laughs) Um, And so they took six guys that year and he was fourth. Did he go? No. Oh, right. So they, they set him all up on plates. So there wasn't like, you know, the big box you stand on for first place. It was like five 45 pound plates. The second guy plates was like four 45 pound plates stacked yep. up. Um, so Chad was fourth. Funny, funny story as Pat Sherwood. So if there's anybody who does CrossFit and knows old school Pat Sherwood, lots of respect for that dude. But he came in sixth and they had him stand on one plate. <laughs> So sometimes I do like to give him a hard time. I'm like, it's one plate Sherwood. Um, no, Chad did not go. This is embarrassing. He ended up having LASIK surgery on his eyes. So that's what his excuse was. But I think in reality, Chad was not someone who needed a lot of attention or focus on himself. And I think because of his work, he felt like that was a little too far over the line, being that he was still active duty and doing all those things. And so he just bowed out. But Yeah, you don't want to go back to the team room and it's like, Hey, I saw you on TV. Asshole. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Cause that's, that's what would happen probably. So no, he didn't go. Yeah. But a lot of people don't know he qualified and granted it was different. Then, probably would have done well. He didn't. Those games. It's not like he spent some extensive time training for the sectionals of CrossFit at, at that point in time, you know? Okay. So we're starting to get into the cycle of SEAL team six deployments now. Yeah. What's that like? <sighs> it's fast really fast. Like your life goes at warp speed because if they're not deployed, they're on a training trip. Truthfully. I mean, they really are, unless they're the next group to go and deployment, then there's a little bit of downtime. But for the most part, he's either on a work trip or he's deployed. And for he and I specifically, I felt we lived going a hundred miles per hour just because his job was busy. My job was busy. Sometimes we were just like literally crossing paths. You know, you hear all this talk about SEALs, Navy SEALs, right? And they they all do kind of have this certain mold to them. That baseline of just, most of them are pretty intelligent people. They're high achievers, hardworking, you know, that work ethic. They're type A, they're driven. But then when you start to look at the guys that are on this next tier and this is just my opinion, right? I have no science that I've done to back this up, but I've lived it as a spouse. There's just something that separates them. The ones that last, the ones that really find longevity there. So I think as a spouse, I I hate to say the word complacent, but you kind of just take it as, well, this is just what happens, right? This is just what happens when, when they're here. And when we're here is that you spend a lot of time alone and you learn to rely heavily on the other spouses and in that community for like support for anything, you know, sick kid, you know, getting stuff from the grocery store and the guys, at least for Chad, you know, he just started to get, I think, quieter and quieter. And I think I look back now and I think about how he was when he was at teammate. And then I think about how he was when we were out of the military. And the way that he interacted with not just myself, but our friends and family, and then in Coronado. And then once we came here, I would say by 2012, things were just different. So you can trace, you can go back to that. 
to around that time period? Because it seems, I know you've probably thought about this a lot. I have. And I've, you know, I wish I could say like, oh, there was this one thing that Mm -hmm. happened, but you know, he didn't share tons of details with me. And to his benefit, I didn't ask a lot of questions either. I just, I think it was just being a military kid too and understanding the profession and really just trying to be respectful and honorable to Chad. I just kind of felt like that's your thing and I will happily listen, but I'm not going to hound you because maybe that's just like, maybe there's a certain place you just like to keep that. Mm -hmm. Looking back, obviously, maybe I wish I would have asked more questions, but you know, I've had some of friends share some stories with me and I know that there was a pretty big blast probably around that 2011, 12 timeframe. I'm pretty sure he was blown out of his bed sleeping. So like a RPG or something came in and blasted them and they were all jacked up. And his friend told me, I think there were three of them that ended up after that deployment going to like brain treatment clinics because they had, you know, concussions and ringing in their ears and all that sort of thing. And he said, he said, every one of them had symptoms you know, of a blast injury, a TBI. He said, Chad never said anything. He said, but I'd have a hard time believing that he wasn't affected if he was in the same situation all the rest of us were. And Chad never went to a brain clinic. Oh, really? Yeah. So, mm. but I didn't know about that till after he died. Yeah. And that's just one example. And I don't think that's the only one. I know one time he told me he fell off the back of a ladder. I think it was a pretty tall ladder, you know, 15 feet or something, 12 feet. And he fell off of it or it fell backwards, you know, and he just had that long fall. So there's just things that happen, you know, where they're gone. And he didn't never really tell me about it. So what kinds of places was he going? Uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, Africa. Go, not, not exactly garden spots. Right. No, he wasn't like, you know, hanging out in like Indonesia. There were other hot spots in the country, at, in the and, world at that point. And, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a tier one strike unit. I mean, their, their job is to go in and get bad guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, was there any consideration about the degree or the volume of, of just violence that he was a part of? Is, is that something that comes up that you think about that is talked about? I mean, it's... No, that's not talked about. The, the idea is they're built to do this, you know? They're Navy SEALs. I mean... You know, for Chad, for being a guy that didn't like brag or boast a lot, what he did like to say to me at the house when I would give him a hard time about something, he'd drop his voice and he'd say, baby, I'm a U.S. Navy SEAL. And I would be like, I I don't give a crap what you are. (laughs) Take the trash out, man. You know? So I, I, again, there's, there's not a lot of conversation. I mean, if the conversation happens at work, I've never heard about it. (laughs) And I don't think the conversation happens among wives or spouses, or who I like to call their first responders, right? Like who's the first person in their life? Because I think you just don't know what you don't know. I think there's an increase of conversation happening now regarding TBI and CTE and blast wave. And I can see this starting to become a ripple effect. But a few years ago, no, I don't think that was a conversation. So what I'm, what I'm kind of getting at, and I'm a little bit jumping ahead, is when you're of the warrior class, and your job that you wake up, that you gain value of, value out of, of doing is the projection of mortal violence. Mm-hmm. Like this is what you do. That's what you're training for. or That's what you're doing. And that's the validation that you seek in your life. You, you seek that from the guy to your left and the guy to your right. And over time, there's a familiarity that you 
grow with just death. Like it's not what it once was to you. It, it becomes something that is easier to process and easier to rationalize. And you're just surrounded with it all the time. I mean, you know, skulls and crossbones and, and all of this stuff. I mean, it, it, it is like that. You're just living that. Mm-hmm. And you, you start to stack on all of these other, I mean, frankly, you know, they're touchy or feelier and nobody wants to deal with that in these, you know, predator type units, no, in special operations, no, like it's harder. It's harder to make sense of the things that you talk about in your speech or that have been more in the headlines now with, I mean, you know, you're close to, you're close to blast waves. You're breaching doors down every day. What happens to the brain? Mm. What happens to the function of the body? I mean, I think it's a, I think we're in the very early stages of, of starting to care more about that because obviously the, the consequences are dire Yeah, and we just don't know. And, and for forever, it's kind of, Hey, suck it up. And I guess the point is, is there's a lot to suck up. It's just more and more and more. And you're saying, well, you know, looking back now, there was just a, a trend or a shift in behavior. And that, that started, you know, with back in an increased volume of deployments and a lot more training and a lot more kinetic operations. Yeah. I just think they see a lot. They see a lot, whether what it, it's what they physically do or losing friends for them is pretty hard. Not that it isn't hard for other people, but I mean, when they lose a buddy, it's like this was the buddy I was supposed to protect and looked out for. And I think some of them have a lot of hard, they feel ownership over that. So that messes with them too. So what was that like for Chad? Well, this is what's like hard for me to talk about sometimes because Chad didn't feel like he had any friends. (laughs) You know, he was just a quiet guy. So... You know, there were the guys on his squadron and they'd shoot texts back and forth and stuff. And I would always try to encourage him to go hang out because I know that that's important too, you know, just to have that bond with those guys. And like, why don't you ever go? Like, I don't know, go to that barbecue or there was a while when we first got to the command, there was a lot of barbecues and parties and things, and it was always really fun. And then after a while, we just stopped going anything. For a long time, I thought maybe he was embarrassed of me. And that's why we didn't go. And I, I'd like to think that's not what it was. He would just say, I'm with those guys all the time. I don't need to go be with them. But then on the flip side of the coin, he would just say, like, I don't have any friends. You're my friend. And I see. I mean, we went to a guy's wedding or not wedding, gosh, his funeral. You know, the, it was packed. I mean, it was standing room only in the chapel. And when we pulled away, he said, there was a lot of people there. And I was like, yeah, yeah, there are a lot of people there. And he just said, I don't think that many people would come to my funeral. And that, well, that'll sit with me forever. Mm. Yeah. That's really hard. No. There's pockets. I mean, there are a lot of people that have very close relationships. And there are a lot of girls that, you know, and and men too, you know, they talk about people in our community because it's not that big of a community. But there are so many people that I don't know because we weren't super active. And I just don't know why that was. I don't know if Chad was seen differently or was he just a really quiet guy that he like didn't reach out. And, you know, you have to also consider that we were military kids and whether it's good or bad, 
part of who we are as people is we do, he and I both, I think, have always been a little more quiet in terms of not really reaching out for people because you learn as a military kid, when you move all the time, all you have is yourself or like your siblings. So you kind of learn to not rely on people. Your brother said you want to wrestle to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Did he withdraw from his siblings at all during that time? Um, I mean, he didn't talk to them that much. I couldn't really tell you because, you know, I didn't know every time they talked on the phone and stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know he would say to me, besides you, the only people I like to spend a lot of time with are my brothers and my sister. So I know that he felt close to his brothers, very close to his, Mm -hmm. and and sister. I don't want to leave her out, but. (laughs) I mean, it's cool that he wanted to spend time with you. Yeah. I had a friend of his tell me recently, which was very kind, just like a week ago, he said, you know, Chad was always interesting because we would all be on deployment and we'd come home and we'd still, you know, go out to a bar, go out and do this. And I'd be like, hey man, are you coming? And he would say, no, I don't want to come. I want to go home and be with Sarah and the kids. And he said, I just always remember thinking, you know, that's good that he wants to go do that. Yeah. I mean. And it is. Yeah. Maybe they did invite him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's, that's what I don't know. You know, he would never tell me. Because yeah. then he probably didn't want me to say, oh, we'll go. You know, I, I don't know. It's just one of those I mean, things. You think a lot of things. It's complicated, when, though. I mean, it is. He, he's a family guy. Loved you since high school. And it's like, of course he wants to be with his family. And yet he's gone from, from you guys a lot. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense. There's a logical sort of, you know, but, but at the same time, like, would it have helped him process some things? I don't know. We, yeah. we don't know. We don't know these things. But uh. it's hard to go back through them. So how do you sort of, you know, deconstruct the narrative? And, and part of this is, is, I mean, you're a dear friend and you have a great story uh, unto yourself, right? You know, your, your kids and the life that, that you've led. It's also, how do we deconstruct it in a way that helps other spouses or buddies or those who are out there? I mean, there's, there's more people going through this kind of stuff. It's a, it's a real, it's a really big problem. Yeah. And so, you know, how, how do you, there's no fairy tale ending to this. It, it's not how this is gone. And how do we, how do we deconstruct this a little bit more? What, what were the signs, if any, what were the, you know, how have you thought about that? Well, I, I sometimes I get fired up with the word PTSD because I feel like it's become pretty commonplace, like the words stress and anxiety, right? Those are all real things. Burnout. All three of those things are real things. But I mean, our military that serves multiple deployments, and most of these guys serve upwards of 10 or more deployments, that's a, a real crazy, like, mousetrap to be in. You know, it's just this wheel that keeps spinning. And there's this weird dynamic that happens that it's like once you get there and you've made it, you are the best of the best. So you cannot offer to get off the hamster wheel. Otherwise you'd look like a quitter. Mm-hmm. If you're a quitter, you're a loser. I mean, that's like death to them. The truth though, is that as well trained as you are and as what you bring to the mission is great. If you get off the hamster wheel, someone else is just going to jump right in. Mm-hmm. You know, They're not really going to miss you that much. I think most of the guys, you're going to watch them evolve and yeah, they're going to get a shorter fuse and they're going to get maybe angry or 
you know, maybe they do have ringing in their ears or sensitivity to light. What we see in these guys a lot of times is their sleep really goes to crap. And sleep is like so paramount to health. You know, it's like, let's reboot the computer, go sleep. And if, if your brain has these brain injuries and blast waves and that affects your hormones and your endocrine system and like your whole body is derailed and on top of that, you can't sleep, nothing is working in your favor to heal itself. Chad would, as most spouses, you know, you say something to your spouse and they don't answer you and you say it again, they don't answer you and you, everyone likes to say, oh, selective hearing. Man, I'm selective hearing. <laughs> and I would say stuff to Chad and, and he wouldn't respond. And I'd go, Chad, 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 just till he would recognize. And finally, he looked at me one day. It was almost like he was someone different. And he said, you know what? When you're talking to me, sometimes I'm looking around and I'm thinking, well, that's not going to kill me. And that's not going to kill me. And that's not going to kill me. And it made me realize the way maybe some of them feel, right? It's that hypervigilance where you're always kind of surveying the scene as to like, okay, what's critical right now? My wife telling me to take out the garbage? Maybe not, you know? I, I hate to tell everybody to assume that their husbands have, have some issues, but maybe they should. If, if they've been in a significant period of time, maybe you need to assume there's some sort of struggle there. And even though you're a SEAL and you're in the military or special ops, special forces, insert, right? The person, we're all our own people. And at the end of the day, you're responsible for yourself. You're the only one who's looking out for you. And then the person next to that would be your spouse or first responder. So, so as much duty as you have to serve your country, you also have that duty to really serve yourself and make sure that you're doing the best you can to come out of this okay. I don't think anybody could live this life and not be affected. You know, it's a real dilemma, I think, because like you were describing, it's this extremely competitive and hard to get to environment. And like, you don't want to get off. Mm -hmm. And if you do, like you said, you're replaced quickly. And it's, it's just, it's, it seems impossible to keep up that pace for so long. Frankly, it sounds like it is impossible to, to, to keep doing that and not have it take its toll, but it's, but there's also no, at least not now, there's not some sort of built-in sort of rest right. for that. I, well, you know? in an ideal world, this is what would happen, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. You're asking these people that we've already established the character traits of to go in and do this, but then you also self-regulate when it's time to take a break. Because if a guy says, hey, I kind of need to take a break, they'll let you. I mean, th there's no one there saying no. Right. However, the culture is, because I've had guys, and I'm not trying to poo-poo them. I mean, this is people I consider like, family because of what our lives have lived. But if they leave, they feel like they're looked down upon or maybe some guys don't really talk to them anymore. And I said, do they not talk to you anymore because, because they feel like you quote unquote left them? Or do they not talk to you anymore because it's like you got out and they didn't? Mm -hmm. So in an ideal world, couldn't the headsheds determine what would be not the end cap, but the rest period. Now, we're never going to know what's harmful for one guy after three deployments might not really affect another guy till five deployments. Doubt it, but I'm just going to throw random numbers right. out. But if it came from the top and it was a little more systemic in terms of, hey, Jason, you've done a really great job here, dude. You're badass. 
you've done fill in the blank, three deployments, but now it's your time and you've got to go over here and do this job. You take the pressure off the operator to even make that choice. It's they, out they of try hands. That. They try that with, you know, you got to go back and run selection or you got to go back and be an instructor or you've got to, you know, go to this school or, you know, I mean, look, I think there's a certain element of, it's not a catch 22. I mean, this is a, this is a great job, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, when you're like, it is fun. You are making a difference. There is a ton of camaraderie. You are validated every single day. I mean, you can't, you can't buy that. You can't buy that drug. You cannot buy that drug of, I am making such a difference and I feel like my life is so important. It, it, it's not for sale. And so once you have it, it's like, I don't want to get, I'm, I don't want to give that up. And when you combine that with the demands, especially at that time, from 2001 until now, you look at DevGrew, you look at Delta, you look at, I mean, SF, I mean, th these units that are just deployment, 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 deployment. I mean, you, we can take this any, as far back as, you know, what's the actual mission and intent of going after a, a bad guy every single night on, on a certain deployment. I mean, we can, we can play this a, a really long, a really long time. I mean, I think basically what I'm getting at is ultimately, I think you're going to have to, to start to treat guys like they're professional athletes that have a high degree of likelihood of brain injuries. And they are uniquely and especially suited for avoiding and evading any type of capture by command or otherwise to sideline them. Like, no coach, I'm fine. And, you know, meanwhile, you've got smelling salts and you just, you know, gave them to yourself so you could get back in and you will do that until you literally can't do that anymore. And that, that's something to where, you know, my hope is that we're able to get to, it's such a, such a kind of analogy of sorts, but we've been watching Star Wars with our kids. There's these things where, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi's got this and he pulls up and he checks someone's health with this little monitor. And it's like, oh, it knows everything about the person, the Gosh, what are, what's it called? The mitochondria? I'm going to get- It's not the bass. mitochondria, but it's it's like it's, that tells them how much of the Jedi- Yeah, how how, how strong the Jedi force is. I'm going to get lambasted for not <laughs> just knowing that off the cuff. I it's, know. it's okay. It's okay, people. Um, like, you know, how do, we, how do we work backwards from that and how do we get there faster at the same time? And one is bottom up. One is absolutely like the command and and- the teams themselves. I mean, there's got to be some mentorship. There's got to be, you know, people that they can't just go after, you know, well, that they, that these guys trust that this rest period is not permanent or that, you know, like it's, it's, you know what I mean? Like I'm not getting kicked off the team. Yeah. And then, that's what, that's what a lot of this is. It's like, it's shame mm -hmm. and it's, they don't want to talk about it. They don't even want to, they, they don't want to show weakness because then it's like, you're sidelined and you're not getting back in the big game anytime soon. And that feels like a death sentence, you know, it just feels for their career, mm -hmm. you know? And yeah. I, I, but I, but I think there has to be from the top down some of this, we're going to take this break and then we're going to get these things done and then you're going to be back. Yeah. But I don't think it'll ever happen. I know. But so look, I know. America, I mean, we, we literally in one of the greatest advances in history, we have a vaccine for the virus, for the coronavirus. And it took what? under a year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was just a national surge to this and there's a trillion second, third order effects that you get out of that as well. I mean, when you're, you're able to respond to something that is of 
mortal threat to your people? Is there any other greater resource that you have? The, the only answer is no. And so it's like we're just such a nation that's able to solve these problems. And it's not, it's not the Chads and the My Buddies that are going to be the scientists solving the problems for how to, how to, how to do these diagnoses. It's, that's got to come from a, a larger call to service that's not the guys kicking the doors in. You know, how, how to unleash the power of science and technology with some vision and, and some leadership to that end. Yeah. And, you know, here we are trying to scrape our way forward, telling stories that will inspire people to, to care about this stuff. And, and so I'm going back to your and, and Chad's story. You just look back now and you see kind of more withdrawal and these, these symptoms that you've written about. And I mean, Sarah, what, what led us to 2018? Like how... how I mean, it's the question you've asked yourself a million times, like, how do you not see this coming? And how, you know, how does it come to this? And like, what happened? I, I mean, I wish I could tell you, you know, there were just little things that would happen. One time we were in a couple of times he'd lose his balance and kind of like trip over sideways. We'd be in the kitchen, like making coffee and he'd usually joke it off and make some joke and didn't really say anything about it. And this is the guy that there's a picture of him when he was younger, jumping from the top of one mountain to the another. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just to put it in perspective. Yeah. Like this he, guy was an amazing athlete. And- yeah. He, um, you know, when he would get headaches, he obviously did not sleep well. He had sleep apnea, you know, that was diagnosed like through his service. Quite honestly, I, I have two friends whose husbands also took their lives prior to Chad, who I got to know well after And they both have shared with me that their husbands both shared with them that they were really struggling. And they both kind of said like something's not right. And they both took their lives. And while I think that they were no doubt devastated, I'm not sure if they were as shocked or surprised they would tell you because they knew their husbands were struggling. Chad never shared with me. However, I can go back in 2018 and it was January of 2018 that he climbed Aconcagua. It's the second highest summit in the world, um, the largest in South America, and it sits at 23,000 feet and some change. And I have no way to prove it through science. And his, we did send his brain off, but I can't prove it through a correlation, but I 100% believe the injuries he had to his brain were exacerbated by climbing that mountain due to lack of oxygen. And I think it sped up his deterioration. So why, why did he want to climb that mountain? He did a couple climbing trips. The guys had done some training stuff. Um, they'd gone out. I want to say it's Mount Baker and did a couple, you know, mountaineering courses and a whole bunch of guys from his squadron climbed Kilimanjaro in 2012 and Mount Kenya. And I think he just started to get a little bit of an itch for this whole climbing thing. Knowing Chad, he really liked physical challenges and he really liked the physical challenges that not anybody could just go up and figure out, sign up how to do. So I'm sure that's why he gravitated towards it. It's also something that's, you know, it kind of requires you to look within yourself and be kind of quiet. You know, there's not people walking up the side of a mountain hooting and hollering. So he, he wanted to climb all seven summits. That was his goal. And, and I supported it even for his 40th birthday. I told him, go, go climb that, you know? And he said, no, he didn't want to spend the money. He didn't want to take the time away from us and the kids. And so we put it off. And then 
we talked about it a few years later and then we just decided, okay, you'll go do it now. So who did he go with? He went by himself and I learned later, well, he was with a climbing company. So there were other people climbing the mountain. But when I asked him, you know, giving the names of certain friends, is this person going to go with you? Is this? And he responded that none of them could go. Um, I talked to one of his good friends. It was just this year, I think. And I asked him about it. And he said, Chad never asked him. Mm. So then, you know, that just adds to more questions in my life, right? It's like, well, why did you tell me they couldn't go? But from what I understand, I'm not sure you asked them. I, I know that he did ask one friend of ours and he just wasn't able to go. I mean, it's three weeks away from home and it's also expensive. So no hard feelings over that. It's he hard. just couldn't go. Mm-hmm. But our other friend that he said couldn't go, he never asked. I don't know. So he went, he did it. He summited all the good things. He came home. He came inside. He was really skinny. And he said, baby, that was really freaking hard. And I'd never heard him say that about anything. So I was like, oh, okay. Like respect. And then he looked at me and he said, Denali's next. Wow. I said, okay. You know, I, I think a lot about, we went on a family vacation that summer in June. We went to the Grand Canyon and he definitely was not right. Like a lot of time, just like sitting quietly, just kind of like staring off into space. He was off. So when I, I, I came and was at your house with you and Hudson and was up there for the, the workout, all of his, he had a bunch of awards, you know, his helmet and, and all this stuff was on the, the stairwell. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. It's like, I mean, it's cool stuff, right? I mean, there's a silver star citation that's there. There's, you know, an operator's operators looking helmet and and skulls and stuff and pictures of him and his buddies and all this stuff. And you told me that that was, that that had not been there long. Yeah. So I kind of forget about this stuff, but when you bring it up, so Chad, like a lot of the guys, I mean, a lot of them do have some pretty amazing awards under their belt and just significant events that they document by framing them or certain flags that they've carried. And so we had gathered a few of those over the years, but we never hung anything up in our house that, that showed like he was a Navy SEAL or what he did. And if, and to be honest, if you go in a lot of our friends' houses, that's like commonplace. I mean, you just see like different emblems on the wall and flags and tomahawks and swords and (laughs) rifles mounted. I mean, it's just, it, it really is like commonplace. And this was Chad. I'd be like, why don't we hang that stuff up? He's like, I don't want someone walking in my house and I'm like, hey, here's me. And I'd be like, Chad, but if they're coming in our house, they probably already know what you do. Like they know us. They're our friends. He just couldn't get on board with it. And it was one of those things as a spouse, you kind of argued because we'd spend a lot of money to frame these. There's a guy locally that does a lot of them. He does a wonderful job. They're beautiful. And the first week of October, I was working a seminar and I had come home and he hung them all up our stairwell. So just in anybody's house, you know, going from your first floor to your second floor where our bedrooms are. So as a spouse, I'm thinking, okay, so we hung them up, except he hung them up in a stairwell that no one will ever see unless they're now walking to our bedroom, you know? But as a spouse, I thought, okay, you got to compromise. We know how marriage works. I wanted him to hang them. He hangs there. I'm like, okay, cool. But that was like October 7th-ish, that month. So 
again, you got to ask yourself, like, why did he hang him up then? Did he hang him up because he knew he wouldn't be there and he wanted to know that I had him hung up how they were supposed to be hung up? Did he hang him up because he just wasn't thinking clearly and he thought, this is what I'll do right now? It just doesn't make sense. He said to me, he would collect flags from diff- from the different countries. And when I came home and he showed me what he hung, if you were to walk in our front door and just look to the right, you'd be looking up that stairwell. And there was a turn in the stairs, so there was a blank wall. And he said, I think I'm going to hang the Somalia flag right there. And I totally thought he was messing with me. I mean, I really <laughs> did. I mean, I spun around so quick and kind of <laughs> laughed. And he goes, oh, yeah, I guess, I guess that's stupid, huh? And I'm like, I'm just saying someone's going to walk in our house and they're going to look right and they're going to see this Somalian flag. <laughs> but, you know, again, I don't know where his head was at. Mm. No idea. So when's the last time you saw Chad? The night before he died. So tell us about it. I had been working a seminar. I was down in Raleigh, so I drove there. It's not that far from my house. And my daughter called me. I talked to him on Saturday and Saturday night. I think it was Sunday. My daughter called me. And so Chad hadn't been feeling well. And he also wanted to talk to his boss about something. And before I left for the seminar, I said, okay, so you need to call your doctor and you need to get a hold of your boss and maybe have a meeting and like talk to him about some stuff. And he didn't share in detail what it was. He just felt like, I'm just not sure I'm doing what it is I'm supposed to be doing. And he said, I know that doesn't make sense because I can't tell I don't tell you very much. And I said, well, all I know is that you're someone who has always gone after every goal and you've always accomplished it. And this might be the first time you set a goal for yourself, but you've changed your mind. Maybe that's just not what you want to do and that's okay. That's, that's literally what we said. And I, again, don't know what exactly he was talking about. So when I left for work, he was supposed to call his doctor and call his boss to set up a meeting for the next week. Saturday goes by, I talk to him Sunday. And I told the kids, your dad's a little stressed. So, you know, if he seems like it, just know I think he's a little stressed with work stuff. Okay. My daughter calls and he, she said, something is wrong with dad. He's just been laying on the landing of the stairs all day, staring at the ceiling. And, you know, I think all of us, my daughter and my son, we all carry heaviness from that last day because of what our interactions were. My daughter said that they were sitting at the kitchen table and she said, you know, if something's bugging you, you can talk to me about it and I'd listen. And she said he opened his mouth, like took a breath, like he was going to say something. She goes, but then he just didn't say anything. Hmm. And... They just called and they were really upset and I just felt in my stomach something was really bad and I was crying in the office and a friend came in and I said, something's wrong with Chad, something's really wrong with Chad and I had to go out and give a lecture and they offered to take my lecture and, you know, I'm the flow master. It's like the boss of the weekend, supervisor, whatever, and I thought, no, this is my, it's my job, you know, and I went out and I gave the lecture and the weekend ended and I drove home and um, I had a really bad headache and Chad called me as I was about halfway home and he said, I love you so much. And I was like, oh, I love you too. And he's like, no, really, I just, I just love you. I love you so much. You know that. I was like, yep, I love you, but can I talk to you in a little bit? Because I have a really bad headache. And he's like, sure. And I was just trying to get home, to be honest. I was kind of racing home and I got home and I went inside and 
Chad was like digging underneath the bed and I walked up and I hugged him and gave him a kiss. And he just kind of like, kind of like fell in my arms a little bit. And I said, what's wrong? And he just kind of looked at me and I said, well, I'm going to go get in the shower. Just come in and talk to me while I'm in the shower. And I went and got in the shower and he was bent over the side of the tub and he had his hands and his hair and he just kind of kept shaking his head. And I said, you got to talk to me. I don't know what you're thinking. You know, you got to, you got to talk to me. And, um, he passed me a towel. I needed a towel. And I said before, like, I mean, his eyes were like glassed over. Uh, and all I kept thinking of is like, if I could just keep him close to me, you know, maybe he'll eventually talk. And we laid down in bed and I held his hand and fell asleep. And I said to him, as we were laying there, I said, are you okay? And he didn't really say anything. And I said, you're kind of scaring me. And he said something, but it was like, not words. It was like, it was like blubberish. It's weird. And, um, I just was holding his hand and I fell asleep. I was tired. And I woke up sometime early because I know the sun wasn't out and he was standing up next to the bed, looking out the window. He had a shirt and jeans on. I said, what are you doing? And I remember he had his arm folded and he said, I don't know. And I said, you need to come back to bed. You need to come back and lay back down. And he laid back down. And I woke up early in the morning. And as I woke up, I saw like his shoulder, you know, he was walking out the bedroom door. I saw the back of his shoulder. And I know it sounds crazy to tell people, but it was almost as if like something was like holding me down. It was almost like I couldn't speak. But I just watched his shoulder. And a few minutes later, I um, kind of got up and I looked around and he obviously wasn't there. And so I went downstairs and he wasn't there and went to the garage, wasn't there. His truck was there. I thought, well, maybe he went for a walk. You know, maybe he went for a run. Maybe he's riding his bike. Like, wh where is he? Couldn't find him. And... This went on for a while because one thing that you learn early on as a spouse is you do not call a command. Don't do it. Don't, don't, we don't want to like wave the flag for his service. And I just really thought, I, I couldn't figure it out. It just seemed weird. And uh, he was supposed to go to Northern Virginia that day with a rental car for work. And I got in my car and I drove around a little bit trying to find him. And then I thought, this is stupid. I don't even know where I'm supposed to be driving right now. I called his dad. I, at that point, was trying to hack into an Uber account. I didn't know if he'd Ubered. So it went on for a while. I finally called work and I explained to the psych that I couldn't find him and I didn't know where he was. And she said that uh, he was probably en route to his job, which I thought was weird. And his car keys were there. His sunglasses were still there. I mean, he has like the most beautiful blue eyes. The guy did not go anywhere without his sunglasses. His toothbrush was there. All the medicine. It just, there's no way he would have left. And there's no way he would have left and not kissed me. It, it, that just didn't happen. And um, I talked to her a second time and she said, due to the privacy of his job, it would be likely that he wouldn't be answering his cell phone. I thought, okay. So I waited and 
I waited all day on Monday. And um, Monday night I didn't hear from him, but I was just trying to say, well, he's off doing this job, whatever this job is. And Tuesday, all day, and he was supposed to be back that afternoon. And I went for a run and I ran around my neighborhood and I was going to sit, our house sat near a lake and I was going to sit on that park bench because it was beautiful outside that day for the end of October. But I didn't. I went back home because I wanted to shower and curl my hair for when he got home because I knew he had been so stressed. And I was ran Hudson to a friend's house and as I pulled in the work called and said, ma'am, your husband didn't report to muster. We've heightened the alert. It's been like 36 hours or something. And I said, that's bad. That's really bad. It's really, really bad. And we started renovation on our house that day. So there were workers inside tearing my kitchen apart. And the guy comes out my front door and says, Miss Sarah, there's police at your back door. This was within like a minute of that phone call. And I walked in my front door and out my back door because my street sat behind my house. And the cop said, ma'am, have you seen your husband? And I said, no, I can't find him. And they started to ask me some more questions. And I said, can we move? Because we were right near my daughter's window. And we moved to the street. And I had called my friend Courtney while I was walking in my front door. And I just said, you need to get to my house because something was just weird, right? Something was really off. And when I walked out and talked to the cops and then I walked to the street and this just random cop said, I'm sorry, we found your husband and he took his life. So all those movies you see where they come to your door in uniform and there's someone that you know there, I didn't have that. Courtney showed up right about then, and I think she, I started screaming, and she more or less bear-hugged me from behind, and I think I pretty much took her to the ground, and I just rolled on the ground and cried. So, I don't want anybody to feel that. I, I realized that he wasn't killed in combat, and I realized that he wasn't killed on foreign soil, so maybe there wasn't the time, but I don't think I should have had to call on Monday and wait that long. So yeah, I'm a little angry. <laughs> yeah. How did you do anything? I mean, what was the, what happened in the next sort of, you know, your, your kids and your Honestly, there's a lot of things I don't I don't really remember. I remember someone coming out and brought out a lawn chair, and they put me in a lawn chair as I was laying on the ground. Um, I went inside. I don't really remember who. I don't remember how people got to my house. My house just started to fill with people, I think. Um, what about your kids? My daughter was upstairs in her bedroom, and she probably saw all of it because her Bedroom faces the street. I mean, she's 17 at the time. My son had just got dropped off at a friend's house nearby because they were going to go to the local football game. And I'm pretty sure my neighbor went and picked him up. So I think my neighbor told my son. And I didn't even get to tell my kids, you know, uh, like the right way from someone that's just. I remember being on the couch and Hudson came running inside and he just said, he just 
said, I love you, mom. You're such a good mom. Uh, I think that's all I can think to say. Um, and then I pretty much went up to Chad's closet and I stayed in his closet for, for days. That's where I slept. The, the details of the delivery, they matter. They do matter. And, and you never get a do-over. You know, when humans are humans, you know, it's, these guys are strong men. But it takes a really strong man to be able to stand in front of someone and say, I fucked up. I don't think anybody could have saved him, for the record. I don't feel that. But I definitely don't think I should have had to wait around that long. So what's the hardest part? <sighs> um, there's a lot. Uh, like for, for me and a loss to suicide or, or what? Just, I mean, since your life hasn't been the same. And it, and it can't be. No. I because mean, you don't just lose. I just talked to another friend, a fellow widow of mine, that it's like you don't just lose your spouse and, and the father of your children, but you lose yourself and you lose your future self. I, I didn't just lose like my husband and, you know, we have this family career created. I also lost all the things that I thought we were going to be moving forward. And I don't get to be that person either. So it's, it's multiple deaths, really. And then you add on, you were a part of this kind of community. You know, it's like, well, where do I fit now? You know, I'm just the spouse whose husband died by suicide. And I feel like people look at me like, God, is my husband going to be next? Am I going to be her? So what are the least productive things that, that happened to you? I mean, all the what ifs, all of the... You're big on kind of responsibility and actions because I mean, there, there's just nothing easy about this. And, and yet, what are the like, what does it look like to go back and, and spend the time in your head kind of trying to deconstruct this and, and wonder what if I wouldn't have been here or what if this would have happened? Or oh, that's that's never ending. I mean, it's just it's it's such, uh, and I don't want anybody to think that I'm trying to like you know raise the level of suffering because mine was suicide and somebody died in combat or somebody died to cancer or somebody, all of those things come with their own ball of wax, right? But you have to think about it and realize how complex suicide is because there's so many questions you're never going to get answered and it haunts you like a vicious beast. And then what that creates is like guilt and shame and I think when you lose someone, I always, kind of ironic with Chad, refer to it as like a backpack, right? Grief is this backpack that you just carry. And in the beginning, it's, it's suffocating. And then as time goes by, ideally, it gets a little more manageable to carry. But suicide, especially when it comes completely out of the blue, I mean, I really felt like I, there's no way I could ever be more blindsided in life to anything than this. It's, it's punishing, you know, it requires you to be so strong. And I think that it could easily eat you alive. Some days it does. So what has worked well for you? <laughs> you name it, I've done it. <laughs> you know, I, I do think that I'm someone who's pretty tough even before yeah. Chad passed away. Yeah. I mean, I think my family would say I'm pretty tough and strong and 
resilient. Probably my upbringing gave that to me. And I've tried everything. I mean, everything from, you know, I still go to my therapist once a week. I actually tried to break up with her early on because I was like, you know what? I'm so messed up that this is probably really frustrating with you and you're never going to be able to help me. So I'm going to make it easy on you and just allow you to be done and you don't have to deal with me anymore. And she said- I mean, you're, you're kind of smiling when you're saying well, that. It's, like, it's funny I, in retrospect. Well, because right? I, I care deeply for her now because yeah. she, she's been really helpful to me, but she looked at me and I respected her for saying this because I feel like some people would be like, oh, well, okay. you know. And she just looked at me and goes, well, I get to decide that. And no, you don't get to stop and we're going to keep going. Oh, um, that's she's been very helpful. You know, I went to a very intense retreat in Tennessee where it was one week. I spent one-on-one -on -one with a therapist up to six hours a day going through like trauma therapy. Um, what, what did you take away from something like that? Um, you know, I don't think I took away as much specific to Chad. I think if anything, I just learned more about who I am and why I am the way I am. Not good or bad, but just why my personality is such and life events that help form that and place that. And I found it to be really helpful because that type of introspection that you have to take for six hours for a whole week, I mean, you have no choice but to look inside yourself. And so I do feel as though I have a pretty good idea on who I am and where my values are and what I like and what I don't like. I've done psychedelics. Um, I don't think that's a shocker to most people. I ride my skateboard, as we know, like daily, which is high up on the list of therapeutic for me. I went on a surf retreat for a week. That was probably, pro honestly, probably one of the greatest trips of my life. I traveled through Bali. I took a 10-day van trip through the Pacific Northwest by myself. And I've taken my kids. At the one-year mark, we went out of country and we went down to Tulum and just hung out and got out of Virginia Beach for a while. Anytime I'm with my kids, I'm the happiest. Yeah. They're pretty awesome. Your kids are great. <laughs> yeah. They are. Yeah. So I, I, I'm rattling this off, but I mean, the list is kind of endless. You know, I, I spend time with friends and Fortunately or unfortunately, I say this all the time, there have been a lot of deaths in our town and a lot of deaths means there's a lot of widows. And before Chad's death, we all knew who, who they were and, uh, they, you know, they kind of get lumped in like, oh, there's, there's some widows over there, even though they all have their own name, you know, it's like, there's some widows over there. And then once I found myself in that group, all of us would tell you, it's the group none of us really wanted to be in, but we're grateful that we're here because while they're, it's full of, of all different stories, all different losses, and different women, they are all, I, I, you know, I have a lot of respect for them. And they, for the most part, I mean, they just, they're smart and they are strong and they're well-spoken. And um, I just, I honor them a lot. And there's a perspective there that you share. There what, is. What, what was it the uh, widow told you at one point that this would make you a kinder Oh, gosh. Person? I just told her that this last week and I was <laughs> up there. 
it was probably about a week after Chad had died and this woman shows up to my door and she lost her husband to suicide in 2014. So I didn't know her prior and she rolls up in my house and she was nice. You know, she kind of wanted to like pay her condolences, but also be a a support for me. And she said, you know, this is going to make you kinder. I have never wanted to flip a table so badly in my life. And I thought, you don't even freaking know me. You don't even know if I need to be freaking kinder. (laughs) I just remember being so angry over that. And it took me, it probably took me eight or nine months. And then I wish I could remember the moment, but I think I just started to realize when you've experienced a traumatic loss like that with someone that like fills so much of your heart that you give your love to, and now you have nowhere for that love to go. It just is like sitting there like boiling plate, you know, boiling over what overflowing that you don't have any other choice than to be kind to other people. Because if you saw any of those women standing in a line and I said, which one of those are widows, right? Which one of those lost their husbands, this situation is you would never be able to pick them out. And isn't that true for anybody in life? So you look at people and you think, I don't know what you've been through. And yeah, it does make you, it does make you kinder. <laughs> Damn it. She was right. <laughs> Jen, you were right. Yeah. Um, it's a really beautiful and, thing. Yeah. And truthfully, I mean, CrossFit, I know my CrossFit family is like super important to me. So to build on that, let's talk about the speech or at Chad's funeral. Mm-hmm. And you talked about Aconcagua. Yeah. Let's, let's yeah, he, talk about that. Well, I spoke at Chad's funeral and when you live this life and you live with the idea of like, there's always a chance my husband might die. I'd always thought in my mind, I will speak at his funeral because I felt like I know him better than anybody else. So why wouldn't I? And at his funeral, I did mention how he had been training for this climb and he'd been building up to a thousand step ups. And, you know, he didn't do it initially. He did it gradually with hundreds and different variations. Sometimes he did it in our living room in his underwear (laughs) (laughs) with just a backpack on because he really was specific and he wanted to know exactly how much weight he was carrying each time he was training. And, but yeah, that's, that's what he, he did. He would go out in the garage or wherever it is, a thousand step ups, 20 inch box, 45 pounds. And I've told this story a few times, but he bought a gram scale and he cut every tag and every extra little anything on his gear. He didn't need and cut it out because he says ounces equal pounds, Sarah. <laughs> so it's very streamlined, but he knew he wanted to go climb and he didn't want to be, you know, the guy in the back holding everybody up. He wanted to be able to hold his own. And so that's, that's how he trained. And I mentioned it in the speech, didn't really give it much thought, but Dave, Castro came to the funeral, as did a couple other close, you know, old school CrossFit trainers. So where did you, where did you speak? Um, this was at the chapel. So they did a memorial. We had a memorial service on, in November, just, mm-hmm. you know, a week or two after his death. Yeah. I spoke there to the people who came to attend. So wait, in Virginia Beach or in DC? Virginia Beach. Okay. Got it. Yeah. We actually... He wasn't put in Arlington, Arlington until the following August, and that had more to do with me than him. I just wasn't sure if that was the right choice or where he should go, so it took me a while to make that decision. But immediately after his death, there was a memorial service. 
What else did you say? I just talked about the way he grew up and um, the type of guy, you know, he was and interacting with his brothers. He always knew he wanted to be a SEAL. And I told the funny story about he went to work one day. They were going to be in helicopters. Chad was, or Hudson was in kindergarten. And he said, hey, if you see the helos flying over, you know, I'll be up there. And I was going to the gym. I think Hudson was with me. And I said, hey, Hud, look up there. There's helicopters. You know, dad's up there. And he's like, oh. Then he proceeds to tell me the little girl in his class, his dad is a police officer and he has handcuffs. And I was like, right. Do you know what your dad does? And he goes, he's a Navy SEAL. Like completely unimpressed. (laughs) Like (laughs) he did not care. But but that, but again, like I mentioned, like Chad, Chad didn't care that he didn't care. Again, he was a little kid, Mm. but just how he was and how he was as, as a dad and a spouse and family guy. And so the training part, you know, Dave, who served with Chad. Yeah, so Dave, well, Dave and Chad met actually when he went back through that course in California. That's when they crossed paths. So, you know, became friends out there. And Dave attended the funeral, as did some other CrossFit people. So I think when I said that, there might have been a whisper, you know, from Chuck or something like, oh, we should make that a workout. I never got word of this. But a month or two later, Dave sent me a text and said, hey, a bunch of us did that workout. There's a handful of them. Adrian Bosman, James Hobart, Jimmy Litchford, a few of them, whatever, at the HQ did this workout. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I think he was interviewed for Morning Chalk Up. And so I think it just kind of organically became a thing. We heard about it. We had gone down south to St. Augustine, met some random girl that, you know, knew about GORUCK and she mentioned it to me. She said, Dave Castro's just did this workout for this guy, Chad, mm. um, a friend that he lost. And, and we, I remember being like, oh, really? And being interested, and I looked it up, what it was, but I didn't, I, we didn't know it, you. We didn't know the whole story at that time. But I learned later that it really affected her. She had no connection to the military, but she was uh, a suicide survivor. Wow. And was talking to people, like, you know, go, making rounds in schools and talking about it as her sort of life passion. And so it really really resonated with her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how did this lead to what we're working on together now? Cause you know, from our, our perspective, you know, we'd known Chris Irwin who you were his level one CrossFit instructor in Virginia beach, <laughs> another seal. I was, yeah. Right. You know, once you know one seal, it's like, damn, you, you, you meet them all. Pot. Right. And 5,000 more, but we had worked with the seal foundation a little bit and he's like, Hey, you know, there could be a great way to talk about veteran suicide, which is something that nobody out there wants to talk about. Like we do because it's near and dear to us. And and then you get another, you know, if, if you're close in the community, it's hard to talk about. It's not that you don't want to necessarily, it's just hard. How do I do this? Right. We've, we've talked about, you know, 1-800 get help doesn't work. No guys aren't going to call that guys. It just, it doesn't work. How do we, how do we do this? And so Chris was like, oh, you know, I, well, I got to I gotta reach out to Sarah and see if she's uh, amenable to this at all, if it's too soon, if I, I don't know where she's at. And so that's, that's when he contacted you. Yeah. Just quickly to your point about suicide, I think what people need to recognize is that suicide, the word, I really want people to say the word. I want you to say, you know, he died by suicide, she died by suicide, because I think outsiders think it makes us uncomfortable, but the truth is, is I live this every day. 
right? It's in my backpack. I have to carry it every day. So it doesn't make me uncomfortable, you know, or those of us that are survivors. It makes other people uncomfortable. So you just need to own it. He did contact me. Um, this was, I think, August, July or August of last year, probably July. And he said, hey, you know, want to do this partnership. We could, you know, you know, this concept. And I'll be honest, my first reaction was nope. And he was kind of like, okay, copy that. But I was getting ready to go on my van trip of 10 days by myself. And I said, you know, I really just need to think about this. And that's, I did. I mean, man, that van trip, so cathartic. But I think I was laying on a picnic table, if I remember correctly, somewhere in Northern California in the Redwoods. And I think part of what I struggled with too is that Chad was so quiet and really didn't talk about his job or his profession or really himself. I mean, prior to his death, if you would have Googled Chad Wilkinson, you wouldn't have found anything. You know, he didn't exist. So to think like, okay, we're going to do this workout. It's going to be his face and all the things. I thought, oh, I don't know if he'd be comfortable with it, but I'm going to go ahead and use the poetic freedom of he didn't give me a choice. And right now I'm going to make this choice for us and try to use it for the good because it kind of comes back to that whole like love thing, right? As cheesy as it sounds, like I can't even express to you the way I love that guy. And it's like, if I can't love him, I've got to like love other people through him. So I think that's what it stemmed from. And I just thought, even if it does a little good, maybe even selfishly, maybe it'll make me feel better. You know, maybe it'll help somebody else. And so I called him back called you guys back, however that worked. And I was like, okay, let's do this. And yeah. I remember we had a four-way Zoom call. Yeah, four-way Zoom call <laughs> at the height of, you know, the Zoom craze. Not that it's down now, but I was sitting in the back of our house sweating, right? It's <laughs> summer in Florida. Yeah, he's always outside <laughs> well, sweating. Our, our kids, you know, we were trapped at home. Uh, not fully trapped, but our kids were just full of chaos inside. You've seen them. And I... I seen the story as much as as much as was out there i saw the video that came out long before chad had, had died with you and your kids oh and boy you're, you're hey, sort of the crossfit video don't right remind people. oh i loved it i loved it, <laughs> it we're definitely great. gonna link it you're like you know i just i've, I've got purple hair it's okay i just you know <laughs> this not because like 10 years ago not because i like wanted to be different i just want a purple hair it was something yeah. like that it was mm-hmm. awesome i yeah. loved it and the other thing that I loved in it was, you go, you know, I just really like my kids. Everyone loves their kids. That's great. I just like my kids too. I you do. Know? And I remember I, I saw that and I was like, man, that is just such a great outlook on how to be a mom too, right? Just your, your, your way of, of just kind of. Well, they're not here to defend it or anything. So I'm going to say, yeah, that's awesome. It's an <laughs> awesome way to have an outlook as a mom. But um, I was like, man, I think it would be, because look, I mean, I, you know, I lost a buddy to suicide in the army and it was, you know, I, I, I put it in my backpack and I, I zipped that thing up and it is buried. Right. And I'm like, oh man, you know, that's 2004. And now here we are, uh, it's a long ways later. And, and this is, it, it's resurfaced a lot of that stuff for me. It's not as near and dear as, as, you know, losing a spouse and, and the, mother or the father of your, your children, but it's, it's still a lot to unpack. And, you know, I know that there are a lot of other people out there and, and, you know, I probably can go through life and 
keep it in that backpack and you probably can keep taking trips to the Pacific Northwest and you're a survivor, Sarah, and you'll figure out a way to, you know, keep pushing it forward. I'm just, I think there's just so much opportunity to give back to others. And I know that's, that's the, the goal that we talked about when you first, it was weird. I was running an event in my dad's house and you were grading for the games last year in Cincinnati oh, yeah, and you came judging. through in route to your, it goes to your parents. And so you stopped in and that's where we did the video that a lot of people saw that really brought a face to, to what this was. And I remember we started talking, I'm like, I didn't know you very well. And I had this, I didn't know you at all really other than a couple of conversations, but I had this thought in the back of my head. I was like, Sarah, come on, you gotta, you gotta open up just a little bit more. You, you've got to do this. I didn't say anything. I'm standing there with my stupid iPhone, right? Like, <laughs> like uh, videoing you. And that's right when you were just sort of, or like, you know, got into it and just like, this has been so hard. And it, it was just very personal the, the way that you were able to put yourself out there. And I think that to talk about this, to talk about suicide and to talk about veteran suicide, that everybody wants to end, but it's hard. Anyway, look at it, it's hard. There's not a, a perfect way to, to go about this. It's, it's, it, it had to take you or someone like you. And, and I think that I'm grateful that you've given us the opportunity to pour some of our, our energies into this because this, this really matters to us. And I, I wish I'd known Chad. I also wish I'd never met you or Chad, you know, alternate universes and the what ifs of, of the world yeah. that we can all kind of play. But, you know, this, this is like a launching pad and it's really rewarding. So that's great. And, you know, what is, what is Chad? What is Chad to you? What is Chad 1000X? You know, why, why did it work last year in Virginia Beach? Why did so many people gravitate toward this? What, what's... Uh, for a couple of reasons. I mean, obviously Virginia Beach is where I live. So I have a great community and support system. And I think they wanted to show that Chad 1000X is not technical. It's a lot of volume, right? If you do it prescribed, it could be heavy for some people, but the technicality of just stepping up on a box and stepping down, anyone can do that. People do that every single day. But what it's really representing is how many times are you going to take one more step in your life, right? Take one more step. It's, what do you call it? The, the single movement mind fuck? <laughs> it's just oh, it hard. Is. Yeah. Well, we were talking <laughs> this morning and we said, it's great. So, so three of my best guy friends, right? The dude trainers at the gym. He just recently celebrated his 40th birthday. He wanted to do 20 hero workouts, one hero workout a day for 20 days before his birthday. And he sends me a message. He says, Hey, I'm going to be in your driveway tomorrow doing Chad and drinking beer. So don't call the cops on me. <laughs> I was like, awesome. okay, well, what time are you going to do this? I'll go out and hang out. So three of them show up like 9am in the morning. I have stepping stones that lead to my front door. And that was his marker for the hundred that he figured out there's 10. So he put a beer on the first step and every hundred, you know, he just moved the beer can. And they, you know, like guys do, they're talking crap to each other and shooting the shit. And that happens up until about 300 reps. (laughs) At 300 reps, you only get like one word, two words. And at 500, there's no more talking. And at 700, you really start to question your life choices. You do. And you kind of wonder what people are thinking about too. What are you thinking about while you're doing the step-ups? You know, you're thinking about 
the kegger you're going to go to later? Are you thinking about when you've struggled? Are you thinking about a friend that you lost? It could be different for everybody, but it's like, just don't quit. Unlike a lot of CrossFit workouts where you're just going kind of balls to the wall and it's for time in terms of like, go as fast as physically possible. There is only so fast you can step up and step down. So just keep going. I actually also had a lot of people reach out to me during these events too, which was hard, but I, I answered every, every message. You know, I, I sat on my, my couch one night and answered every single message I had on Instagram, every single text. I had three people at the Virginia Beach thing pull me aside and just kind of talk to me a little bit about their struggle. And, and I have to be okay doing that because if I'm out here saying, if you're struggling, let's talk about it, then you're here, I'm here. Let's talk about it. Is that something you have to make your peace with? Or is that just your life now? Or is there somewhere in between? Oh, this has been a lot of conversation with my therapist. Um, I think I just, I can't, I couldn't turn away from someone. How could you do that? It's hard. It's, it's hard well, you for can me. put yourself out there a and lot less. You, can, you could, you know, you could, but I don't think I'll do that. I just know what it feels like on this side of the coin to have my person gone. And I'm just adamant. I do not want anybody to feel that way. I do not. It's terrible. It's terrible. And it's, it's like a thousand cuts, you know, it's just, it just. So where are we going to take this? We're, this is the second annual, Yeah. right? Second annual, Chad. So we are, we do have bigger things in plan for this. We're still going to do our Virginia Beach event. We did a small San Diego event last year, which we plan to do again this year moving forward. We've also added other cities. So we're going to have a larger scale event down at Fort Pierce at the Navy SEAL Museum. We're going to have a large scale event here in Jacksonville through GORUCK. And there'll be a New York City event happening. So we're trying to make larger scale events in bigger cities. So if you're in one of those cities and you want to come out and join a big group, we hope that you do. This doesn't deter anybody from doing it in their own gym, home gym, in other countries. We had a big response last year, but we hope to keep doing this around Veterans Day. As we know in CrossFit gyms, it's hard to run big scale events and our Veterans Day falls on a Thursday. So we realize if you bookend prior or after Veterans Day, that's good too. But the conversation is really not just about Chad Wilkinson. It's his workout and he died by suicide to the effects of TBI and PTSD and blast wave injury. It's really about our current veterans that are still with us that might struggle. And we want you talking about it and we want you speaking up if you need help. The military really likes one answer. They want to know what the problem is and they want to go fix it. Who's the bad guy? That's him. That's what he looks like. We're going to go kill him. That's how they operate. I'm afraid that they do a lot of research and they're looking at all these blast injuries and, and TBIs, et cetera, as we've mentioned, but they're really just waiting for that one answer. And I believe as deep as my soul can go, there will never be one answer. There's going to be multiple answers and it's our job to figure out what are the best avenues and options for people to pick and provide that to them. I just think you're very brave. Thanks. To tell this story. I know you've told it a lot. Thanks. We're going to keep telling it, but that's, 
that's your work. Thanks. It's it's a real honor to have you in Florida and to be friends with you and yeah. to get to spend this time with you and Hudson. And we're we're grateful for this opportunity to give back with you. It's you know, there's nothing easy about it. At the same time, it's kind of like it just it it matters to us. And I know how deeply it matters to you. So I, I tell everybody in whenever we talk about Chad, which is frequent. Like, look, you know, our role in this is we we serve at Sarah's pleasure. She's a friend of ours. Chad is on our list. We will do the workout every Veterans Day till, you know, till there's no more walking, right? And I plan on dying with my boots on. <laughs> so um, so thank you for the opportunity and and thank you for coming. Thanks for um, having me. I've enjoyed Jack's. You might have me swayed. <laughs> Did you like the, the the Jeep ride in the rain? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks. All right. So the joke is I don't, we don't have a top on a Jeep and we drove across town. I'm like, oh, it's not going to rain. And we went and checked out the. That's not even fair. You guys, they drive a Jeep Wrangler. They don't have a top on it at all. It's not that it's down. It doesn't even exist on the Jeep. And they live in Florida and it's summer and it rains every day yeah. here. That's, that's the truth, Jason. It's awesome. No guts, no glory. It's it's Jason. It's Jason. (laughs) I, I did the top thing and he just hid it in the attic, but that's okay. You know, people do weird things. Yeah, it's fine. It cooled us off. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We love having you down here. This is going to be one of many trips. Yes. All right. Thanks. (laughs) Thank you. Adios out there till next time.